time. Galatians chapter 5. We're going to take the month of June and uh, go through the fruits of, fruit of the Spirit. And uh, it's a familiar passage for most, but uh, nonetheless, I kind of want to just break it up. We'll take, look at about two each week through the month of June, and then July will transition into our missions month where our whole focus will be on missionaries and missions, and we've got uh, two missionaries scheduled to be with us in the month of July as well, uh, and looking forward to that, uh, which reminds me, July the 3rd, we'll actually be doing our afternoon slash evening service up at the Smith's house in Georgetown uh, and have fireworks and food and stuff like that uh, there as well. Uh, Galatians chapter 5, look with me, and starting in verse number 22, the Bible says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, Joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. Kind of that verse 25 is is really the emphasis here put on the fruit of the Spirit, where it says, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So we want to be showing forth the fruit of the Spirit. If we say that we are of Christ, we ought to be living like we are of Christ. There ought to be things showing through our lives uh, that we are a part of Christ, that Christ is in us. And these fruit that is mentioned here, is a result of that. Uh, actually, ver- earlier in this passage, you'll see in verse number 17, it says, For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if ye be led of the spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. So <clears throat> we talk about the fruit of the spirit. The opposite of that is the works of the flesh, and these are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And then the transition to but the fruit of the Spirit is. And so we see the, what we're supposed to be here, what we're supposed to be showing forth in our lives. Um, Christianity has, uh, depending, I think, on where you are in the world, uh, but Christianity has different stereotypes. And, and uh, in more common day, more modern day, really probably since the 70s, Christianity has been known as very judgmental, maybe further back than that, uh, but has been known as very judgmental and very harsh and very... Uh, um, mean and those sorts of things. And sometimes it is people that just don't like what, what Christians say, so they're saying you're mean. That, that's not always true. But I've been around long enough and seen enough churches and met enough Christians to know that, that oftentimes that is true. We come across in a very harsh, mean, judgmental mindset, and we don't actually show forth Christ. We think maybe we are because we're speaking the truth, but we're not necessarily speaking it in love. And the Bible says to speak the truth in love. And so with the things that we do, if we uh, bring forth, if our life shows forth these things that are listed to us in verse 22 and verse 23, then we will walk in the Spirit as well as show others who Christ is in our lives. So I'd like us to look at the fruit of the Spirit, and this morning we'll look at the first two, love and joy, 
and then we'll be done and break for the afternoon. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for letting us come today. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would help again this time to be profitable, that we learn of you. I pray that you'd help me as I present these verses and these thoughts, that I would do it clearly and correctly. And Lord, I pray that we would draw closer to you as a result of your word this morning. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. The fruit of the Spirit is a result of a proper relationship with Christ. Galatians 2 verse 20, if you want to turn there, it's just a couple pages back. Galatians 2 verse 20 says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The fruit of the Spirit is this idea of I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. It's a, it is a picture, it is a showing forth the relationship that we have with God and that God is living within me. Therefore, I'm living the way that Christ wants me to live. That's what the fruit of the Spirit is. Um, we are naturally selfish, every single one of us. We naturally have within us this idea of do what is best for me, what makes me happy, what makes me fulfilled, what makes me rich, what makes me famous, what makes me whatever. Whatever is natural that we want, that's, that's in us. And so when we are saved, when we accept the gift of salvation from God, when we are saved, now we have a new creature, the Bible says. And with that, now we should show forth that new creature. The old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. And so in my life, I should show forth those new things. And part of that is this fruit of the Spirit. Now, we're not supposed to pick and choose. Uh, you know, if you go through, and my boss at work, he likes to do these uh, uh, personality tests when he hires somebody. And a lot of people are doing this now. And they're supposed to take this test, and then it's supposed to tell the boss how this person is going to receive uh, critical instruction, how this person is going to handle adversity, all these sorts of things. Some of it's fun and whatever, and some of it's just really stupid, to be honest with you. But nonetheless, uh, there's a lot of that out there right now. And, uh, and so you'll see people who say, well, you know, I am optimistic versus pessimistic. I am uh, um, outgoing. I am uh, uh, not outgoing. Those sorts of things. It's kind of one or the other. Well, the fruit of the Spirit is not something that you pick and choose. It's not something that we should just have one of these things because it fits my personality. No, it's something that we're supposed to have all of it. As a matter of fact, it's given to us in a singular form, not to get too grammar on you today, uh, but and that's not even the right way to say it, so you know I'm not great at grammar. But the fruit of the Spirit is, it's singular, all through these things. So we should have all of these things as a result of our relationship with Christ. If we have the proper relationship with Christ, these things should be showing forth in our life. And we see the first two is love and joy. So let's start with love this morning. Uh, we know that in Scripture, throughout the Greek language, there are multiple different words for love, showing or defining what kind of love it's talking about. This is agape love. It's in the Bible 116 times. It means affection or benevolence, and the, the definition I like for it the most is a feast of charity. All kinds of it. When you think of a feast, at least when I think of a feast, I think of a lot of items. Uh, not just a lot of one thing, but a lot of a bunch of things. Uh, so a feast, a feast of charity is what this love is. The kind of love that we show as a result of our proper relationship with Christ 
is an affectionate or a benevolent love. It is a feast of charity. Turn with me, if you will, to 1 Corinthians 13. This whole chapter is given to the idea of charity, agape love. And we see here in this chapter, and we've looked at it before, so we won't spend a ton of time necessarily in this chapter today. But we see a list of things that charity is, that love is, that agape love is. He says in verse 1, Though I speak with tongues of men and of angels, and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. I'm just making noise if I don't have charity. He says, And though I have the gift of prophecy, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and all, although I have all faith, so that I can remove mountains and have not charity, he says, I am nothing. So I can be a prophet. I can understand all the uh, ununderstandable things of this world. I can have so much faith that I can move mountains, but if I don't have charity, I'm nothing. That's intriguing to me. But then he goes into what charity is, verse number four. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth. That's what charity is. It's long-suffering. It's patient. And when you think about the kind of love that we have to show forth uh, to the people around us in this world, not just our brothers and sisters in Christ, to our neighbors, to our employers, to our government leaders, uh, the love that we're supposed to show forth is one of a feast of charity, and it means that it should be patient, long-suffering. It should be kind. Um, now, we've talked about this a lot in our church, but uh, it's not love when you're screaming at someone. Um, you can speak the truth even though it's opposite of what this person believes, but you can still do it in a kind, loving manner. And so love, charity, agape love, it is kind. It envieth not. It doesn't desire others' things. It's not easily provoked. It's not proud. The Bible says that knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. Uh, you, don't, you can't uh, uh, love someone if it's uh, pumping yourself up. But you love someone if you're lifting them up. I, I've talked about this too, and, and, but you know, you get all these things now where people have a video. Look what this kid's doing. He's being so kind, uh, but he waits till the camera hits record and then he goes and does it. Uh, it's still a kind act, but it's to puff himself up. And it's like nowadays, no one will do anything nice for someone unless they know they're going to get acknowledged. That's not love. It's pride. And so when we're going to love someone, it's not about getting recognition. Everybody enjoys recognition. Everybody appreciates someone saying thank you or good job or whatever it may be. People enjoy that, and we should, we should encourage other people that way. But we shouldn't only do things if, if we feel like we're going to get acknowledged for it. That's not what it's about. Love behave itself unseemly. It, 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 it's right. It's good. It thinks no evil. It's not going to hurt someone. It rejoices not in iniquity or in sin. It's not happy when someone falls in sin. Have you ever met someone who was excited that someone uh, got caught or excited that someone got in trouble or excited that someone paid a consequence for something they did? If you have a job 
you have coworkers you don't like, almost guaranteed. And there are times where there's a coworker doing something and you're thinking to yourself, you know, what this person does is wrong. Maybe they're lazy. Maybe they go hide and sleep somewhere. Maybe they uh, goof off or on their phone when they're not supposed to be or whatever. And you're sitting there thinking, you're not going to tattle on them, but you're sitting there thinking, I just hope that they get caught. And then they get caught. And you're like, yes. That's natural, by the way. But love rejoices not in iniquity. Rejoices not when someone's doing wrong. Rejoices not when someone is caught for doing wrong. Uh, but it says that, that love rejoices in truth. And there's a difference between a, uh, a hateful um, joy <laughs> over someone getting caught and over a, I tried to help them, I, I tried to uh, show them this is wrong, I tried to whatever, and, and truth is revealed. Uh, but love rejoices in truth, the truth of God's word mainly. Love endures. Uh, it says it never fails. Uh, it, it, uh, uh, that, that's something that we have to understand. It says there at the end of verse 7, endures all things. Love endures. Love is not a uh, one-time thing. We should always be loving. We should always have this feast of charity, this agape love. It never fails. When someone does something wrong, we don't stop loving them. We still love. It endures. And it never fails. It is, uh, there are things that go on in life with loved ones or friends, and man, it hurts. Right? They do something and it hurts you. And that's hard to get past. It's hard to get over. As a matter of fact, the world tells you just cut them off and just whatever. Uh, the Bible says that, that agape love, this affectionate, this benevolent love, this feast of charity, it, it never fails. You should always be there to love people no matter what they do. Now, again, the world will tell you love means acceptance, and that's not what love means. But, but we should love people. And when they fall or when they falter, or even if they do something against us, we should do uh, and we can only do it through God's help, but we should love them. And that doesn't mean that everything goes back to normal, right? It doesn't mean that uh, if someone does something uh, cruel, let's, let's use a, a, a kind of bogus, more than likely won't happen in our life situation. Uh, but let's say that someone that we love murders somebody. All right, so in order to love them, that doesn't mean that I hide their murder or help them bury the body or... Uh, you know, lie to the police about it or anything like that. That's not what love is. But love is still praying for, seeking to help any way that we can uh, uh, in, in helping them get right. They need to go to prison. They need to suffer the consequences. They need to go through the judicial system. They need all that stuff. That needs to happen. So just because I love them doesn't mean I accept the fact that they're a murderer and I'm going to help them hide it. It means I'm going to try to help them get right the best way that I can. I'm still going to pray for them. I'm still going to care about them. I'm still going to listen to them talk through the phone while they're in prison. Uh, you know, those kinds of things. You understand? It's, I know it's a, a kind of a bogus illustration, but it helps the idea of understanding. Love isn't just saying, okay, well, your sin uh, is bad, but because I love you, I'm going to ignore it. That's not love. Love is your sin is going to ruin your life. And so I'm going to tell you that, but I'm going to do it in a kind and compassionate way. I'm going to pray for you, 
And when you're ready to come and talk, I'm here to listen. And that's what love is. It isn't sweeping it under the rug. It's still helping them, edifying them, helping them get right. And it never fails. It sticks with it. We need to love others, not for our own sake, but for the sake of God. John 13, 35 says, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one for another. How do people know that you're a follower of Christ? They know it by the way that you love people. It's the most obvious way that anybody in this world can see that you're a follower of Christ, by loving others. I mean, the Bible says that the first commandment, right when they asked Jesus, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, thy soul, and thy mind. And then he says, the second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. You see, the idea that, uh, um, that, that we can follow Christ but not love people doesn't match up with what Christ tells us. In order for us to show our relationship with Christ, we have to love other people. And, of course, we have to love God as well. And this love, this agape love, is the same love that God demonstrates to us. Now, he demonstrates all the other kinds of love as well, or most of them. But uh, the Bible tells us that no greater love hath any man than this, but that a man lay down his life for his friend. That's agape love. Uh, we see that it says in Romans 5, 8, but God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's agape love. And so we see here this, the illustration that God gives us. He demonstrates for us uh, these things, uh, how we should love people. Romans 8, 38 says, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, uh, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the agape love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God not only demonstrates his agape love toward others, but he demonstrates it toward us. And the Bible says that there is nothing that can come and separate you from the love of God. God loves you, and in your darkest moments, God loves you. In your highest moments, God loves you. But the Bible says there is nothing, death nor life, angels or principalities, powers, things present, things to come, heights, depths, or any other creature can separate you from the love of God. That should tell you something about who God is. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, that should tell you something about who God is. We see here that God says, uh, in John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He loved us so much that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for us. Jesus loved us and his father so much that he gave his life for us. And like we already talked about, he commendeth his love toward us. And that while we're yet sinners, knowing who we are, knowing what sins we're going to commit, knowing our filthiness, he still died for us. That's love. And it's the love he demonstrated so that we could turn around and love others as well. But to know that nothing can separate us from the love of God. To be able to sit here and say, okay, no matter what I've done in the past, God still loves me. Boy, that's saying something. To be able to know that God, the creator of the universe, the savior of the world, he loves me. I've met so many people who've said, preacher, you just don't understand what I've done. 
Well, maybe I don't, but God does. And to think that God will, will reject you because of what you've done in the past, it's just not true. To think that God can't restore you, that God can't create in you a new, new creature. I've met people who were drug dealers, got saved, and now faithfully serve God. I've met people who were in jail due to crimes, who got saved, and now are serving God. I know people who lied to their parents as kids, and they got saved, and now they're serving God. It's all sin, right? I know people who have uh, um, sinned against their spouse and got saved and are now serving God. And everything fine with that spouse? No. There are still consequences for our sins. But to understand that God still loves you. No matter what you've done, God still loves you. And God can still create in you something special, something unique, something that can be used by God for God. Because there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. It's also an example of how we should love other people. There should be nothing that can separate uh, them from our love for them because we love them for the sake of Christ. If I'm just loving them for my sake, it's not going to work. It's the same, same way in a marriage. If I just love my wife because of my sake, there, I mean, most days will probably still be okay, but there's going to be failures. But if I love for the sake of Christ... Then, when mistakes come, when bad days come, when arguments come, when uh, disagreements come, those sorts of things, I'm loving for the sake of Christ. It can't separate my love. Christ is our example. We ought to follow what he's done. And if Christ is willing to not stop loving me for all the things that I've done, I should be willing to give grace to those around me as well. 1 Corinthians 16, 14 says, Let all things be done with charity. All things. Boy, that's a lot of things, isn't it? <laughs> I love when the Bible says all. Um, you know, I grew up in this mindset of don't, don't ever say always. You know, well, this person always lies. Well, no, they don't. Well, this thing always turns out wrong. Well, no, not always. Most of the time, maybe, but not always. So I was always taught not to say things like always. But the Bible is truth, and the Bible says that God so loved the world, that, God's, that God gave his life, all these things for all. And then he comes here into, to 1 Corinthians, and he says, Let all things be done with charity. Everything that I do, I'm supposed to do with love for the sake of Christ. That's not easy. It's not natural. But everything I do, I'm supposed to do in charity. I've been preaching now for uh, 11 years. And early on as a pastor, uh, I, I would preach at specific individuals. You understand this, right? I don't do the same more, I promise. I learned. But uh, uh, in my early years as a pastor, somebody would do something. I would know they did something. And uh, so I would prepare a message about that thing and, uh, and preach on it, knowing that at least one person in the building needed the message. It wasn't very loving. 
I learned, like I said, it's, it's, that person won't listen to the sermon anyhow, so don't, don't bother. Um, <laughs> just, just pray about what God wants you to preach and preach it, and everything else will work out. And, uh, and so that's what I've done. But in those early days, in those immature young, young days, um, there was not a lot of love in my sermon prep. Now, my motives were technically right, but how I was going about it was very wrong. Everything that we do, so I go to work, and I show up to work, I, I have to do my work with love. That means when my boss doesn't make me happy, when my coworkers don't make me happy, when my customers don't make me happy, I got to do it with love. At home with my children, I do things with love with my wife. At church, uh, you know, there are, maybe you understand it. I don't know. I didn't understand how I became a pastor, but you guys are smarter than I was. Uh, there are things that church members do or say, and it just makes, especially as a pastor, just, just cringe. I still have to serve and minister with love. Everything that we do has to be done with love. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It is a, a, a result of a proper relationship with Christ. It is a picture of, nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth within me. Love. The second one is joy. We won't spend as much time on it, but joy. Joy is found 59 times in Scripture. It means cheerfulness or calm delight. Uh, one preacher defined it as a constant delight in Christ. Joy. Joy is used in the Christmas story when the wise men saw the star. It's also used in the Christmas story when the angels showed up to the shepherds uh, and says, be of good cheer uh, or fear not and, and uh, uh, those sorts of things. The angels in heaven, the Bible says, rejoice when someone is saved. It's the same joy that we're supposed to have in our lives. We're supposed to live a life of joy. It's interesting because the world is oftentimes grumpy. Not everybody in the world, right? But the world is oftentimes grumpy. If you, ever, if you go to cities, they're grumpier than, than most. Uh, you can see it in Lexington. You can see it, though, in the big cities. Have you ever been to New York? There are happy people in New York, but overall, it's pretty grumpy people. They're walking around with a scowl on their face. Um, there's not a whole lot, you know, in Kentucky, you walk by someone in the grocery store and you make eye contact, you smile and nod. It's just what you do in New York. If you make eye contact with someone, uh, they're ready to beat you up. Why are you looking at me? I don't know. You look funny. Now, that doesn't help the situation for what it's worth. Um, but, uh, if you go through cities, a lot of times people are just grumpy. There's that constant chaos of life in the country. It's a little bit uh, calmer and a little bit uh, smoother to some degree, I guess, as well. And so live life like you live in the country, whether or not you do. Uh, but the idea is the joy of God, the joy that Christ gives me, the joy that God provides for me, that no matter what's going wrong in my life, I still have God. And so I still have joy. Christ is the, uh, uh, the, the source of my joy. It's not the material things that I have. It's God that I have that gives me joy. If I live my life through only finding joy in the things that I have, guess what? It's going to fall at some point. It's going to disappear at some point. All it takes is one little spark, 
and everything you own is gone. Where's your joy? If it was in everything in that house, it's now gone. We should find joy in our families, but the reality, and as, as grim as this sounds, within a snap of a finger, it can be gone. And if your joy is found in them, it can be lost. If your joy is found in work, guess what? Work can end. If your joy is found in health, that can be gone. But God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is always there. So if God is the source of your joy, your joy will always be there. Cheerfulness, calm delight, a constant delight in Christ. It's the same as love. We're loving for the sake of Christ. We have joy because of Christ. And if I am a follower of Christ, if I am walking in the Spirit, as Galatians 5 said, I ought to show forth this agape love, and I ought to show forth this cheerfulness, this calm delight. I have tried very hard in my life, and I'm not always successful with it, but to, to at least greet people positively. So when they ask, how are you? Um, to not have that uh, uh, complaining mindset. And again, I fail at that sometimes. And, uh, and I've tried even, uh, I have to refocus this many times, but on Mondays to come into work with a smile, it's not easy to do. I don't know about you, maybe you love your job. <laughs> um, you know, my, my job during the week is not something I am passionate about. Uh, so when I show up, I have to be thankful for the fact that I have an income and be thankful for a fact that I've got uh, a place to go and work and thankful that I've got a, a pretty good boss and, and decent uh, co-workers. And I've got to be positive about it. I've got to show joy. Why? Is it because my job makes me joyful? No. There are very few days that my job makes me joyful. But God does. And my joy is in Christ. It's through Christ. Turn with me to John 16. John 16. I love this chapter, uh, John 16. The last verse in the chapter is one of my favorite verses in Scripture, uh, but that's not what we're looking at today. John 16, look in verse number 20. The Bible says, Verily, verily, I say unto you that ye shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice, and ye shall be sorrowful. That doesn't sound fun, does it? But the Bible says, But your sorrow shall be turned into joy. There is a lot in this world that is going to beat the joy right out of you. There are a lot of things in your life, and, and, and you know, with the exception of two or three, we're all adults here in the room right now. We've lived long enough to understand that this world is going to beat the joy out of us. But God says that if you follow him, your sorrow will be turned to joy. There's joy in victory. We'll look at verse 33. Like I said, it's one of my favorite verses in the Bible, John 16, 33. These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. The, the, the world is full of mischief. It's full of hurt. It's full of pain. Yes, there's joy in there too. Yes, there's things in there that'll make you happy. Yes, there's things that can bring a temporary smile to your face. But overall, the world is going to bring you tribulation. And God says, be of good cheer, same word as joy, uh, for I have overcome the world. Where is my joy? If it's in God, I've always got it. 
If it's in God, I've always got it. Galatians tell us that if we walk in the Spirit, we ought to actually, if we say that we walk in the Spirit, we actually should walk in the Spirit. It says if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Uh, verse number, Galatians 5, verse number um, 16. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. How do I walk in the Spirit? I have the proper relationship with God. Well, how do I do that? I give myself to Christ. I surrender my life to Him. First, it starts with salvation, where God says that I, I sent my Son to save you. You deserve hell. That's a punishment for sin. But God loved the world. He sent His Son Jesus to die on the cross to pay the punishment for sin. And the Bible says that if we confess our sins, uh, He'll forgive us. The Bible says that if we call on Him, He will save us. Lord, save me. And God says, yes, I will. And He saves us. He gives us the opportunity of heaven versus our destined hell. And after that salvation, then what? I'm supposed to grow. The Bible says, uh, as newborn babes desire milk, so should Christians, I'm paraphrasing, desire the Word of God and learn and grow and nourish and, and know how to walk and know how to live and know what God wants for them. Know who God is. Learn more about who God is. And as we do that, we grow and we mature in Christ. And we have this point where when we, when we have Christ in our life, when we are a child of God, we should now walk in the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit, the result of that, the, the outward showing of that is love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and faith and meekness and temperance. Are you showing forth these things? We'll look at the next, the next two next week, but today I may encourage you, are you showing love? I don't know about you, uh, but I do at the same time. We could all show more love. We can do better. I guarantee it. Maybe you're better than me, but I guarantee you can still do better. The Bible says if I don't have love, I'm, I'm nothing. Love others for the sake of God. Take the demonstration, the illustrations that God gives us and show forth that love. And then joy, be cheerful. A calm delight. There's joy in victory. Our sorrow can be turned to joy. The joy comes as a result of who God is. And so seek God and you'll find joy. Seek God and you'll find love. You need to do better with love. You need to get closer to God. It's, it's a simple thing to say, but it is so, so true. You want to do better, you got to get closer to God. Draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you. The closer, uh, the more that we desire God, the closer He is. The more that we obey God, the closer that He is. If you are saved, if you are a Christian, if you are a child of God, you ought to be showing forth the fruit of the Spirit. And if you're not doing what you need to be doing, if you're not showing the love that you're supposed to be showing, if you're not having the joy that you're supposed to have as a result of Christ, may I encourage you this morning, would you just go to God and ask Him to help you? Maybe you need to do better at your Bible reading. I'm telling you, I say it over and over and over again, but the more you read your Bible, the more you're going to understand who God is, and it's going to help you to do what's right because you'll be motivated by the fact that, boy, God is good. God knows what He's talking about. He has proof over and over again throughout Scripture of people who when they followed Him, He took care of their every need. Think of Jonah. Jonah 
and the Bible was given a command to go and preach to Nineveh, and Jonah hated Nineveh. They were a cruel and a violent people, a wicked nation. So he ran from God, right? And he got swallowed up by a big fish. Eventually, he got right with God while he was in the belly of the fish, and he got thrown up, spit up, spewed out onto the beach. And then he went to Nineveh, and he preached at Nineveh like God told him to, and the people of Nineveh repented. They heard God's words preached through Jonah, and they repented, and they got right, and God spared them, and Jonah got angry. How could you spare them? They were wicked. They were evil. You know what it was? Is Jonah forgot to look in the mirror. Jonah wanted to be spared by God, but he was wicked. He couldn't love Nineveh because he didn't understand how God viewed him. And a lot of times we're like Jonah where we'll look at other people and be, boy, they're just, they're bad people. I can't love them. And to understand that you're no better. I'm no better. Yet God still loved me. God still loves me. And God loves them too, so I should as well. Jonah didn't find joy in the wonderful repentance. I'll tell you what, as a preacher, there's, there's, there's few things more exciting than seeing people repent. And seeing the message that God allowed you to preach impact people's lives. Jonah wasn't excited about it. A whole nation repented. And Jonah didn't say, praise the Lord, amen, hallelujah. Wave his hanky and spit and scream. No, he, he went and pouted. He was angry with God. He was being selfish and prideful. And you can't have joy in that situation. But if your joy is in Christ and the things that God does, boy, it's going to bring great joy to your life. We need more love and we need more joy. I, I can almost promise you that all of us could do better in both of these situations. Next week, we'll look at peace and long-suffering. Uh, but let's ask God to help us uh, to show forth our relationship with Him to others. Lord, thank You for letting us come this morning. I know we have a small crowd this morning, but Lord, I'm so thankful that each of them were able to come. Thankful that I was able to be here. I'm thankful for those that have uh, joined us via uh, live stream today. Lord, I, we come to this passage, and if we grew up in church, then we've heard this and these verses a lot. And sometimes it's just a list of things that we memorize, and we don't actually ever apply it to our lives. And Lord, I pray that over the next several weeks, as we look at these verses and these thoughts, I pray that we would not just hear, but do. Lord, that we would uh, look at ourselves, look into our lives, into our hearts, and see where we stand and how we represent you. And God, I pray that we would truly have these fruit of the Spirit. And the day we looked to love and joy. And Lord, I, I know this world is hard to love, but I know you understand that better than anyone, even more so than we do. So God, I pray that you would help us to have this love, this charity, towards others and all around us, and that everything we do, we would do in charity. Help us to improve. Forgive us, Lord, of our lack of love, and strengthen us and grow us in this area. And Lord, with joy, there's so much depressing things around us. God, may you help us to depend on you, to, to use you as our source for joy, that we can be cheerful in a gloomy world. Lord, that we can be a light in a dark world. Lord, help our countenance to be what it's supposed to be. 
Help our heart to be what it's supposed to be, joyful and love-filled. So, Lord, help us in these areas that we would do better today. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, we're not going to have an official invitation today, but I will ask you this. If you're here this morning and you know that you can do better, maybe it's even more than that. Maybe God's convicted you of the fact that you haven't been loving or that you haven't been joy-filled. This morning, I just ask you as we close in prayer, would you just go to God and say, God, forgive me and God, help me. And apply these things, these, these verses and these thoughts to your life this week and seek God's help to do better, to do more, to be right moving forward. God, as we close, again, Lord, we just seek for your help. We need your forgiveness and we need your strength, uh, Lord, to move forward and to do what we need to do. So help us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. All right, uh, we're going to break away. We'll have uh, afternoon service at 1 o'clock. If you can stick around or be back, we'd sure love to have you. And uh, uh, I know we got, like I said, several people out uh, this week. Hopefully next week they'll be back. Um, but thank you for being wise and being smart. Thank you all, if you're watching still, for being wise and smart as well. And uh, looking forward to what's ahead. We'll continue our study through Psalms here at 1 o'clock this afternoon. Wednesday night, don't forget, is Pie Fellowship Wednesday. So bring a pie with you and uh, be ready to uh, eat too much on Wednesday evening. We'll have coffee and feel free to bring anything else that you want to bring as well. Make sure you get a chance uh, to meet our visitors today. And uh, thank you all for being with us. We sure appreciate you coming as well. Lord bless you. Let's be dismissed.